This Pink Podcast episode talks with the daughters of Sherry Hartfield, known to us as Mama Hartfield, who fought a courageous fight but lost her life to inflammatory breast cancer. Please join us for this year's 20th anniversary of the Mid-South Mississippi Race for the Cure to be held in downtown Jackson, Mississippi on Saturday, April 13th. You can register online at www.comenmemphismms.org. That's K-O-M-E-N-M-E-M-P-H-I-S-M-S dot org. On the menu bar, click Events and select Komen Metro Jackson Race for the Cure or call Katherine Young at 601-932-3999. That's Katherine Young at 601-932-3999. Please register today and help us save lives. Thank you. Welcome to the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast Program. My name is Katherine Young, Senior Vice President, and with me is my lovely co-host, Miss Molly May. Hey, Miss Catherine. Hi, Molly. So um, today we are here with Miss Corbeth Hartfield and Miss Mead Hartfield. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey there. Hey, y'all. Hey, Molly. How's the weather where you all are? It's absolutely beautiful. I'm in Birmingham, beautiful Birmingham, Alabama today, looking at blue skies and sunshine. Awesome. What about you, man? Where are you? I'm in Mother's Favorite Spot, Orange Beach, Alabama. I'm looking at a pretty sky and a pretty gulf of microcastle. Amazing, amazing. Don't you wish you were at the beach? I wish I was. Me too. (laughs) I love the beach. I love getting away on going on vacation. So today um, we wanted to talk to you and me, Corbeth, you and me about um, your mother's journey. And I love to call her Mother Hartfield. So in August of 2017, um, the Coleman, Mississippi affiliate lost one of our biggest advocates and supporters to breast cancer. And Mama Hartfield battled inflammatory breast cancer for five and a half years. And she was the most loving and amazing woman and a beloved mother um, to you guys. Uh, Miss Sherry was a true champion of the cause and will greatly be missed. Um, And I want to just share a few words of encouragement um, that she left for you all that you share it with us. Um, And one was know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Number two, get your life right with him. And number three, make the most of today and every day. And lastly, Psalms 118 and 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So thank you, uh, Mama Sherry, for leaving these beautiful words and a legacy uh, of light for 
Corbeth and me, your family, your Coleman family, and the many survivors that are still battling breast cancer to today. So Corbeth, would you just share with our listening audience a little bit about Miss Sherry, your mom and her life? You know, what was her life like? I think the things that you just said that she actually said were a testament to her life. Um, she grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, she uh, went to Central High School, uh, which is in downtown Jackson, and then to the University of Southern Mississippi. She also has a degree from Mississippi College, and uh, she was an educator. Uh, she was a teacher and a retired principal of 30 years for the Jackson Public School System. Wow. So mother had a, a, a wonderful life, and she had an impact on a lot of people. And it wasn't until she was in her uh, early 60s that she was diagnosed with stage four inflammatory breast cancer. And I think she treated that the same way she treated her entire life with her faith and just trusting that God had it. Amazing, amazing. Um, so Mead, um, when your mother was diagnosed, what did that mean for you and Cora Beth and, and how did you process all of that? Well, Catherine, first I want to thank you so much for sharing mother's um, words and um, her attitude, her, her faith. She really lived by those words and was a living example and I know you you witnessed that and just really appreciate you sharing that with your listeners um, and so really when mother was first diagnosed we didn't know exactly what it meant the day she called me she had been out running errands and had stopped by her um, general physician and was trying to get off some blood pressure medicine because she's really sort of adverse to medicine in general and um, she said oh by the way you know, we take a look at this rash and he said you know this is worrisome sent her directly to a breast cancer specialist where she was clinically diagnosed with at least stage 3B, which tests revealed later would be stage 4. She called both. Well, I know she called me as I was in Birmingham, where I live, um, to let me know that I needed to come home. And so my first reaction, you know, when she said I have it, at, at least stage 3B cancer was, well, how many stages are there? You know, it <laughs> As a novice of uh, the cancer world, I really had not been exposed to it, and Cor Corbett the same. Uh, and so we really had to get educated very quickly. Um, was this a scale of 10? You know, a three on a 10 is not as bad as a you know, three on a four, which, of course, mothers turned out to be four, which is terminal. And so one of the first visits that we had with mothers treating oncologists, we heard the words, you will die of breast cancer. And so the, the obvious almost immediate impact on us as a family was we knew that mother was going to die of cancer. We did not know how many days we had left with her, but we knew that we wanted to make the most of those days. And so Corbeth and I immediately sprang into action, um, and as did mother. Um, she didn't miss a beat. She looked right at the doctor and said, I, God's got this. She said, I, I know the great physician, and he's going to take care of me. To which the doctor responded, well, it's going to take God. And and God was faithful, um, even though she was diagnosed with a, a terminal 
cancer, inflammatory breast cancer, she was graced with five and a half years, which is longer than the statistical average, especially for an aggressive form such as inflammatory breast cancer. And so it really meant for, for Corbeth and I that we had to get educated on this rare disease, that we needed to make the most of our time with mother, and that our life would no longer look like it had because we were now at the mercy of the process and the journey as caregivers for someone that we loved very, very much and we're fighting alongside of her. Amazing. Um, so the caregiving part, and, and we know that a lot of people um, have family members that are being diagnosed and, and have you know, detected this disease and just a little bit about the importance and what it means to be a support system for a family member that's going through. I'll, I'll take that one, Catherine. This is Corbeth. So when mother was first diagnosed, the doctor actually said, if you don't do chemotherapy, you have maybe three to six months to live. Mm. So uh, me, my sister, who lives in Birmingham, immediately said, yeah, hey, she's we're, you know, we're going to spend all the time that we have with her as much as possible. And so that's exactly what she did. Um, I'm single, not married, have no kids. So she came to live with me. And at the very beginning, three to six months, that doesn't sound like a lot. I remember we talked, we planned her funeral, me came up weeks we began to get our affairs in order and that was difficult to have that conversation but I can tell you once we got our minds right she was going to fight this and we were going to fight alongside her um, all that took a back and I don't think we ever really talked about um, funeral arrangements again until the very very end and we were so blessed to have five and a half years but we went to every single therapy treatment with her and over five and a half different forms and strands of chemotherapy or some sort of um, therapy uh, along the way. And I will tell you, we had a huge support system, better than any medicine or all of the Team Sherry supporters. Uh, we, you know, we started that Susan Cummins race just weeks after Mother um, was diagnosed, and we've continued to do that, including this last year, even though she wasn't with us. And um, I, I think that support of our family and friends and even strangers all across the world. Uh, Mead and I travel a lot. And we had people literally all across the world um, jump on board with Team Sherry. We did some social media to get inflammatory breast cancer sort of out there. So many people just don't know about that. Um, that had metastasized, though, to her liver, her lymph nodes, the back of her abdomen, the breast, some spots on the bone. Uh, the one thing I remember praying was is that the cancer uh, would not affect her brain, and it didn't. She was sharp to the very end. And we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for all of our friends and family that rallied around us for five and a half years and continue uh, to wear the Team Sherry bracelets and continue to support us through prayer and just remembering her and her legacy. You know, it really is a family effort. Um, you hear the saying all the time that when someone is diagnosed, their family is diagnosed. Um, but the Hartfield legacy is really something that rings true to that because uh, when Miss Sherry was diagnosed, not only just you, Corbeth, and, and you, Mead, gathering around her, but just... Um, Hundreds of people gathering around Miss Sherry and forming Team Sherry um, and really being that living testament that you that a diagnosed person doesn't have to face something alone and that a diagnosed person also 
um, isn't alone in their diagnosis, that those that love them will also take on that burden. And let me say this real quick, Molly. We were we, we said from the beginning, we were going to be with her in the beginning, and we were. That day that she found out, she was by herself, and I've always thought about that and how that must have felt to have been alone to hear that news. But once we got together and we got with her, we said, and I pray, this was another prayer I had, was that she wouldn't die alone, and she didn't. Meet and I both were by her side when she drew her last breath. Meet, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but that was just a really spectacular moment. Yes, I would. I would just add that you know, mother used to call it being flanked. You know, when we would go to uh, sit in the doctor's office in the waiting room and and in the chemo rooms uh, or in the the doctor's rooms, we would usually have one on one side, Corbett on one side, and me on the other. And I think it really strengthened mother. I think she really appreciated that to the extent that, you know, both of us could be there. Um, it made a difference in her psyche and her attitude, which was always strong and always positive on her own volition, but it definitely added even that much more love, hope, and support. And then, of course, that extended into the team itself. Everywhere we would go, be it restaurants, be it um, traveling, be it, you know, no matter where we were, um, rank strangers. People that never met her felt connected to her and supported us. But if they knew us, they, they were on the team, and it really made a difference. And I just want to say for caregivers, you know, every caregiver's strength is different, and probably, you know, every caregiver's emotional uh, processing, how they process everything is different, and it's okay. Um, I'm not sure that there's a right or wrong way to do anything. I think that Corbeth and my example really about we balanced each other um where she has strengths maybe i wasn't as strong where um i'm stronger in some areas you know i'm sure she appreciated that and so it really was you know a, a collective effort to fight the disease and to walk down the journey together amazing it is yeah, that's just uh, so wonderful to see such a bond uh, a love. Uh, right mm-hmm. such a strong bond and and i remember um corbeth saying how the rainbow was over her house um the day miss sherry passed and what was that like actually there were three rainbows in one week and that was something that was truly spectacular and a gift from God. And, and you know, it started with when we realized that this was it. She wasn't going to take any more treatment. The body began to fail, the liver. Um, and God just blessed us with this beautiful rainbow. My, 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 my house faces west. So if, it, if we have an afternoon rain right as the sun sets, I get this beautiful double rainbow over the house. And it was just incredible. I mean, we knew, even though it was sad to us, we were going to lose her here on this earth. We knew this was just God's promise that he's just taking her and he's going to heal her completely. And he, and he did it. And, and then the day after her funeral, <laughs> I mean, it, it was just so surreal. We were sitting in my house with all of these plants that we brought back from the funeral home that people had sent. And I look and I see a, it had rained. I saw a pink sunset. And I thought, a pink sunset? I said, you know, the only thing better would be if there was a rainbow. And my sister, Mead, and I walked outside. And over my house, facing the east, was a pink rainbow. A pink rainbow. I've never the- seen anything like it again, just for the record. And then the final and third rainbow 
was when everyone had left, Maid had gone back to Birmingham. It was one week uh, after Mother, we had had the funeral and we had buried her. And I remember just thinking how alone I was as a caregiver, you know, just I didn't have her anymore. And um, and it, the, the house was silent. And once again, right around sunset, it rained. And the sun was out, you know, and the sun's out and the rain, it's raining. There's a rainbow somewhere. And that's God's promise. And, and I walked outside and there was a double rainbow over my house, a beautiful, true, what you think of a rainbow. And I just said, okay, God, you know, as a caregiver, and I know me feels the same, you know, we did what we were, we were called to do in that moment of our lives. And I'm so, thank, so thankful that we, we were able, what a, what a gift to have all that time with her. And to serve her, someone that had served us all of our lives, up to the point that she couldn't, she needed to be served. It was incredible. It is incredible. And like, and even to our listeners who um, don't necessarily uh, can or who can't necessarily relate on like a spiritual level when it comes to like their personal beliefs and like the Lord you can still they can still take away like if they if they believe in mother nature if they believe in just spiritual guidance of a of a human being that um like even if they don't believe that that rainbow was sent from the lord himself that that could that could have been your mother's way of saying everything's going to be okay like i'm i'm here i'm watching you i will be watching over you i'm happy i'm better um which can be a testament to um Others who may not necessarily believe spiritually that there are still ways to look for signs and you can still find peace and things, even if they're as simple as a rainbow in the sky. Well, and I would just add on that, that, you know, going through this journey, uh, you know, Corbeth and I had the benefit of, of having, we've been Christians for a long, long time and doesn't make us perfect people because we're certainly far from that. But, um, regardless, no matter if you are a, a person of faith or not, when you go through something like this, whether you are the person that is diagnosed or you're the caregiver, it will challenge you. It will challenge your beliefs. It will grow you and stretch you in ways that you did not expect or that you weren't prepared for. And, you know, I think Corbeth and I both, you know, have a stronger faith from having experienced this. And at least for us, you know, there's no other explanation of some of the things that we witnessed and experienced other than God's sovereignty. Yeah. Um, you know, it is just amazing. I mean, one other thing that probably is, is little known, but um, when mother actually passed away, the, 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 the night and morning that she passed, there was actually a meteor shower, which we don't typically get. Um, and I just thought how beautiful that she uh, perhaps uh, left this earth and got to witness yet another, you know, miraculous, wonderful, um, amazing display of, of God's greatness. And it makes you, cancer makes you feel small. It does. It makes you feel very, very humbled. And in some ways that can be a good thing because, you know, whether you're the caregiver or whether you're the patient, you're not in control. All we could do was our best. All we could do was love and have hope and have faith and, and work hard to um, make the most of every moment because you really are at the mercy of whoever it is that you believe. You know, for us, it's, it's God Almighty and, and, and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, it, 
it will test your faith because you are only human and this is life is short and this is a great example of that and mother that is to bring it back to mother and you know that is something that she preached before she was diagnosed with cancer demonstrated in the way she lived her life and especially communicated once she was diagnosed with which is today make the most of today that is all any of us have cancer or not we have the same thing and it's called today and so you know that is something that corbeth and i strive to do and, and that's why she's down there at orange beach alabama soaking up the sunshine <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm working hard wishing i was there with her but that is something that we both try to do every day and um i hope that others that that new mother or that hear this message can at least if they can't take it, anyway any anything but that um take that away that you know we all have the same thing cancer or not it's called today and, and let's each try and make the most of it let's not fight let's not fuss let's love let's be kind be loving be gentle be sweet be all the things that that mother was such beautiful words just like your mother so we're going to take a short break and tell our listeners how they can support the susan g coleman memphis mid-south mississippi affiliate we'll be right back the Memphis Mid-South Mississippi affiliate of Susan G. Coleman provides needed breast cancer services to women throughout West Tennessee and Mississippi. Your donation can help save the life of women who do not have access to breast health care. Please take a moment and donate by visiting our website at www.colemanmemphismss.org. That's www.k-o-m-e-n-m-e-m-p-h-i-s-m-s.org. Thank you for your support. Welcome back to the Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast. Joining us are our guests, Cora Beth Hartfield and her beautiful sister, Mead Hartfield. So we were last talking about um, our faith and and how a positive attitude plays an important role um, in healing. So um, for those that are not familiar with inflammatory breast cancer would you all tell us a little bit about it and how your mother detected it sure inflammatory breast cancer and made one may made want to add to this uh, is a rare type of breast cancer um, it's usually diagnosed at a three a b or c and then a four just means that it's metastasized um, to other organs in your body. Um, it's also known as the silent killer. Less than 6% of women actually, um, according to st- statistics, get inflammatory breast cancer. Um, in mother's case, she was just at that doctor that day and she had a rash in her left breast and she thought it was shingles. And unfortunately, that doctor did not send her home and just say medicate because once you have it, you can go very quickly. Uh, one thing to note is that it, it did not show up in a mammogram and it was not a lump. Um, and we thought that was interesting. We did not know what inflammatory breast cancer was before she was diagnosed. And as we began to research it, we were just shocked at the statistics. And there are many women that actually get it. Um, I just, you know, we've got to find a cure for that. 
for metastatic breast cancer, for inflammatory breast cancer, oil breast cancer. In mother's case, though, because it had metastasized to other parts of her, her body, her, uh, her organs, she was not able to have surgery. Mm. So the only option for her was to try to do treatment, which is what she did. And we were just really blessed that she lived the five and a half years that she did with this cancer. So this is me. I'll add a little bit about that. Um, when mother was first diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer, I had never heard of the term. I had never heard of, well, what is inflammatory breast cancer? How is that different from regular breast cancer? And being sort of the researcher of the group, I hopped online and was just appalled at the lack of information available. What little I did find was really sort of uh, connected to about three different grassroots uh, organizations, all run by one woman. Uh, so three women total, right? Three three organizations run by one individual apiece, and it was piecemeal. I mean, uh, the the amount of information including Susan G. Komen has helped provide over the last five and a half years has been great, but we've got to keep going. This is a disease that's been around since the 1800s. It is the known as the, as Cora mentioned, the silent killer. It is the least researched form of breast cancer. It is statistically the deadliest form of cancer, breast cancer. And um, I don't know if the statistics are accurate because we sure have known a lot of people in the Mississippi area even that have been diagnosed with this. Um, there is no early detection. It does not present with a lump. It is not seen on a mammogram. And it's often misdiagnosed. Doctors, um, you know, in good faith often believe it's a rash and prescribe antibiotics. And the problem with that is, as Cora mentioned, you know, actually the earliest detection is stage 3B. Well, that's really, really advanced. That's and advanced, so it can yeah. metastasize. It can metastasize in a matter of days and weeks. And so um, while there is no sort of screening process for it, if you are suspicious that you may have it, you should immediately seek treatment, immediately seek diagnosis, and, you know, make sure if you need a second opinion, go get a second opinion. In, in our case, we were very blessed to have a doctor that recognized that something was wrong, and God bless the nurse that was with our mother's doctor, Miss Roxy Phillips. Um, she had previously served as an oncologist nurse, and she was insistent that um, they send mother over to see a specialist immediately, and that was helpful. And as Cora mentioned, because mother was so advanced, stage, stage four, her only treatment options at that point were chemotherapy. And unfortunately, these sort of standard chemotherapies that all breast cancer patients receive, at least metastatic uh, breast cancer patients receive. So there's no obviously specific protocols out there. And so mother, God bless her, went through about 15 or 16 different types of chemo oh. over those five and a half years. And you know, she lost her hair, I think it was three... She lost her hair three, three times. times, three different times she lost her hair. Which was the least of our concerns, um, you know, and, and anybody that's known someone or has experienced metastatic or advanced breast cancer knows that the chemotherapy and the side effects uh, thereof are are brutal or can be brutal, and that in and of itself is 
you know, you got to have some strength. And she was just a, a, a soldier, never complaining. And uh, you'd ask her. In fact, the very first time we went to see the oncologist, you know, I brought a journal because you know, write down everything the doctor says, sort of thing. And I asked her. I said, "Mother, how are you feeling? I want to record how she's feeling at every visit." And she just, she just, she didn't miss a beat. She says, "Great, just put down great. Just put down every week, great." <laughs> that was her response. <laughs> and I did. I wrote that down, and I'm glad I did. Um, and she had, a, she had a great attitude and was really blessed um, through all of those various chemos uh, and through various side effects thereof. But um, yes, inflammatory breast cancer is something that needs awareness, certainly needs more research. Um, and and there, there are organizations making great strides, including Susan G. Komen, who are helping to advance treatment centers, doctor specific doctors that will specialize in this area and the the future looks brighter for for those that may be diagnosed with this in the future and we were just talking to uh dr tang uh, about clinical trials and and the advances in research that we've come so far um but this is uh, another area of research um, that is so very vitally important that we not only understand what IBC is, but develop better treatment options um, to give more women a better quality of life and also ultimately um, find a cure for this disease because we don't want women to die you know unnecessarily untimely due to um no type of breast cancer so this is a continual um fight that we have and understanding that research um in these areas is very key that's exactly right and i would add to that this is me you know when 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 mother went through all of her options, which is what happens when you get metastatic breast cancer. You just keep trying different drugs based on your um, body chemistry and hormone receptors and um, latest research, et cetera, which mother did. But eventually, you know, there's only so many drugs on the market and you have to turn to clinical trials. In in mother's case, she was not eligible. Um, after having gone through all of those various types of chemotherapies, we, I had a, one of my nurse paralegals here at the um, firm actually you know, uh, draft up all of her history, and I farmed that out to every single hospital across the nation that had any sort of IBC doctor on board um, to see if we could find a clinical trial for her. And in her case, because she had been through so much, it excluded her from being able to participate uh, in those clinical trials. But certainly, there will be women out there that have the opportunity and um, would encourage them to at least consider that as a part of their treatment plan so that others may benefit from, from that, especially if you have inflammatory breast cancer and can contribute to that piece of the breast cancer puzzle. Awesome. Amazing. So uh, we are... Super excited that we had a chance to talk to um, oh, Cora, um, Beth, and me. I actually wanted y'all to talk about, uh, just in closing, about the pink Sherry Hart flamingos. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope I tell the story right. So, Mother, I'm actually at a place that she lived for nine years out of her life and spent more time than that down here, Orange Beach, Alabama. And when mother lived down here, she had these pink flamingo mugs that she would drink coffee out of. Out of The, the, the handle was like 
a flamingo head. And so Meaty and I would call and check on her. This is before she was diagnosed. And we'd say, how are you doing today? She would say, I'm having a flamingo day. And that meant she was having a great day. And so flamingos just became part of our life and became a big part of our journey when she was diagnosed. And so our shirts and our Susan G. Komen races have a pink flamingo on the back with the scripture psalm 118 24 for this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it and i'm, I'm actually on a little a girl's trip down here and i can tell you right now the flamingos are everywhere because they get it they are all on team sherry and they have been and they love me and they love mother and they love me and so when you see a flamingo think of sherry but think about today what Mead said earlier this is the day this is the gift that we have we all have and how we choose to spend it is up to us. And so that, that was Mother's attitude. And that's the story on the Pink Flamingos, Molly. They just, they're everywhere now. <laughs> well, I want us to all have Mother was loving flamingos before they were this popular. But it's so encouraging to see them everywhere because that's exactly what she meant. She would say, have a flamingo day. And we knew what she meant. It meant that she was enjoying the sunshine and listening to the birds chirp. And whether she was inside or outside, no matter what was going on in her life, she was going to make today a great day. And that's what she encouraged to do by, by saying that. And she'll try to have all those flamingo days. Hope y'all are having a flamingo day over there in Mississippi. We are. We are. <laughs> Thank you for joining the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast. For additional information to donate or support this podcast, visit our website at www.komenphismms.org. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the D.L. Dykes Foundation, producers of Faith and Reason.